Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Life Podcast. Great day to be great. I am your host, Ian Harditz, and we are here to talk all things about players that we like ahead of ADP. And by we, I mean myself and none other than Fantasy Life's finest, Chris Allen. What's up, Chris? What's going on, brother? I know last week, uh, while I was actually out in the pouring rain and the cold in the evening, like running the Ragnar race with uh, fellow industry members, John Daigle and Mike Leone. I couldn't help but think about our conversation we had a couple of weeks ago about just like the our hate for umbrellas. But I ain't gonna lie to you, as I was standing out in the pouring rain, I kind of wanted that umbrella. I mean, a hoodie sufficed for the time, you know, we were out there uh, doing our thing, running from Connecticut to South Boston. Uh, which was a hell of a trip in and of itself, but it brought me back. It actually made me chuckle a little bit because I was like, man, if Ian was out here, he'd just be, you know, he would just grin and bear it and like just say, screw that umbrella. I don't need it, but uh, I'm happy to be back. And we're I mean, just, let's talk about some of the players that we are really hyped about, like at least in regards to ADP, because we've had the week 17 conversation yesterday while we were doing the best ball stream, but yes, we need sir. to talk more about the guys that are going to help us get to week 17 i think which is a more appropriate conversation as people start to fill out their rosters and even though chris was you know poised to run about 30 miles last week he was still willing to do this podcast just couldn't yeah. quite get there technically uh technically but the only reason i bring that up chris is because we had these players picked out last week and before the show i was updating the adps and six of the 10 players actually saw their adp get even more expensive over the course of the last week and everyone else stood firm so good news chris we seem to be picking a lot of these guys that have in fact moved up and i think they only have more room to go up so you mentioned our stream yesterday which you can find on the fantasy life youtube channel make sure you subscribe would appreciate it if you do and yeah with that exactly like chris said let's get into some of the players that we were drafting most often and believed to be values at their current adp chris you're gonna kick things off with a certain quarterback who was one of the names that we highlighted as a major veteran winner after the draft talk about geno smith who this time last year was almost a punchline now all of a sudden we're looking at him in the middle of that you know pocket pass or qb2 tier and maybe just maybe prioritizing the man Absolutely. And I think the easiest thing to look at it is how we're trying to figure out the rest of his pass catchers. Of course, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, you know, getting up in age what, or whatever, but it's just they have so many pass catching options within the Seattle offense right now. They tack on JSN. We're assuming Disley's going to come back from his injury. They tack on Zach Charbonnet as well, who is another, who is a decent pass catching option in his own right coming out of college. What are we supposed to do? Well, the easiest answer would be to go ahead and draft the guys going to be throwing them the ball, not the guys that are going to be accumulating most of the targets. At least that'd be my approach to it. But if there's any uncertainty regarding what Geno Smith is capable of, because we saw him uh, be one of the best versions of himself, it's probably the easiest way to say it. After all of his time with the Jets, I mean, bouncing around from team to team, this was, I mean, like prime Geno Smith. I mean, the man came out there, and uh, what was the quote that he had? It, it was in week one when they played the Broncos. Like, everybody wrote, wrote him off, but he didn't write back, though. I mean, that <laughs> is, I mean, essentially the thing that he was capable of doing throughout the entirety of the season. So for folks that are, let's say, skeptical about him being unable to recreate, like, what he did last season, uh, even not necessarily from an efficiency standpoint, let's even say from a volumetric standpoint. Let's say Pete Carroll wants to try and rein back on the high pass uh, high pass rate that they had just this past season. They were top 10 in pass rate over expectation. If folks are thinking that Pete Carroll might want to switch things up, well, at least part of the study that I did, if people have a chance to go ahead and take a look at fantasylife.com, I looked at pass rate over expectation or what it is and how sticky it is over a year-over-year basis. And one of the things that I did find is that, at least from an offensive standpoint, uh, teams will are more likely to kind of hold on to the pass rates that they have if there's enough personnel continuity, not just the pass catchers or the players, but also the coaches. And Pete Carroll's obviously still kicking around there. Shane Waldron's coming back for another season. And we know that him coming from uh, the Rams and having some of that Sean McVay like to like their particular offense, a lot of the things that we saw from last season should remain in place for 2023. So if they tack on essentially the wide receiver one from this class, they also add on uh, another pass catching running back. To me, it all signals 
that they're going to have one of the more pass-friendly or fantasy-friendly offenses in the league this season. So if again, if you're unsure of whether you want to take Metcalf at cost, Tyler Lockett at cost, JSN, Disley, Noah Fant, who I took in the best ball draft that we just did yesterday, go and check that stream out if you get a chance. The easiest, again, the easiest answer is just grab the quarterback and try and find some of those ancillary, uh, ancillary pieces or optional stacks that you can build around him. So for my bet, I mean, Geno Smith, where is he sitting at right now? Keep 12, 30, I forget what his ADP is right now, but at the very least, I mean, with all the pass catchers that you have access to, the pass rate that we should expect for Seattle's offense for this season, again, he's going to be one of my prime targets, like once I start getting these best ball streets. Underdog ADP currently sitting as a QB 16 in Dwayne McFarland's rankings that you can find on fantasylife.com. He is QB 12. I have him right there in the middle of that mix as well. So, yeah, man. And you mentioned just the pass rate over expected. How about Gino making the most out of that PROE, though? Number one in completion percentage over expected last year. Better than Patrick Mahomes. Better than any other quarterback in the NFL. That's what number one means, after all. And the other thing here, Chris, because you look at the quarterbacks he's going behind. And, you know, I've talked about this a lot where we have, you know, the dual threat aliens going up top and then okay we have anthony richardson there as maybe you know the middle class version of what we could expect from a jalen hurts or a josh allen but then we get dak Tua, kirk cousins daniel jones a little bit in his own thing rogers gino goff these guys aren't giving us anything on the ground except for Gino. I mean, 366 rushing yards last year, only got in the end zone one time. As a rookie, he had 366 rushing yards and scored six touchdowns. So out of all those guys in that tier, I do think Gino, even though he will be 33 soon, but a young 33 based on, you know, the lack of mileage I think he has at the mm -hmm. professional level, really could give us that sort of combination that is requisite to go ahead and leap up into the top six, top eight at the position. So, I mean, hey, last year already was you know qb9 in terms of fantasy points per game wasn't too far off that but again if i'm missing out on those top six seven quarterbacks i do think anthony richardson daniel jones and geno smith stand out as the guys that actually have a chance chris to compete with the top dogs that you have to draft in round two or three guess what though we don't have to draft geno in round two or three one of the best mid-round values out there at the position and if he winds up going against, I mean, the week 17 matchup that they got against Pittsburgh, while I guess my expectation it's not going to be a high scoring affair, it could be one of those under the radar type uh, type of contests that folks might want to try and target outside of, you know, everybody's going to be going for the Chiefs Bengals game, the Green Bay Minnesota game, uh, some of the other matchups that I highlighted in the week 17 column. But if you have such high value pass catchers, when I'm talking about like, you know, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, people are still thinking about Deontay Johnson having at least a, a rebound type season after scoring zero touchdowns. I mean, there's enough intrigue there that you would want to try and target that matchup to see if it winds up out kicking its expectations. And if you can't, I mean, Geno's at an affordable price. So he's a guy, that, again, I love his value as of, at this point in drafts. Maybe more on that Deontay Johnson guy in just a bit. Yeah, I got to tease it. Chris. But tease first, going to go through some running backs. I am highlighting one Alexander Madison out of the Minnesota Vikings. And shout out to my own personal technical problems back in April when I couldn't make a similar show we were doing, Chris. And Kendall actually called out Madison being a, you know, a value at his ADP all the way back then. And guess what? Things haven't changed. He was the RB28 when I took these notes down last week. He is up to the RB26. And I'm honestly starting to see the guy go ahead of Dalvin Cook in a handful of drafts I've been doing over at Underdog Fantasy. So still going at a very affordable spot again pick 81 overall so he's next to Jahan Dotson Deshaun Watson Brandon Cooks and just relative to where he will go if the smoke to the fire ends up being true and Dalvin Cook is out of the picture I really think that we could see him fly up as high as like RB 17 range Chris you know I mm -hmm. did my Minnesota Viking team preview podcast alongside Dwayne earlier this week which you guys can find wherever you're also listening to us right now but basically I really think the spot where we will see Madison settle in I don't think he's just going to be a one for one you know top 12 13 replacement for dalvin cook and that obviously would be where dalvin was ranked if we didn't have this concern but i look at that low end rb2 tier miles sanders jk dobbins damian pierce you know deandre swift i think that's exactly where we're going to see madison settle in so he still has a full round or two to fly up the boards and again a good 10 spots at the position so yes we do need to keep in mind that it is madison it's not dalvin cook maybe we do see ty chandler or, you know one of the other running backs that they do have on the roster turn into more of a committee but at least on, in recent history chris it has been the madison show without dalvin cook six spot starts over the years
years. One dud is the RB 47, but otherwise during those weeks, RB four, seven, six, eight, and 13 right now. I, you know, Joe Mixon, that's kind of being corrected in its own right. He's all, all the way up to RB 19, but the two biggest values in fantasy drafts are running back in terms of just projected role versus their ADP remain Joe Mixon and Alexander Madison. Right. And I know it's hard to extrapolate like over a full season thinking about, well, what can Madison do with more touches? Because as you mentioned, when he has been given the full workload, when Dalvin Cook has been injured and out of the lineup and we've seen Madison snaps increase, like we've seen Madison actually be like the RB1. Like he's like you mentioned, like he's hit that top 12 rank. Uh, I mean, at least like uh, multiple times, like four or five out of the out of the six times that he's been given like the uh, the full workload. And to your point, Madison has been able to capitalize on the opportunity when he's been able to get it. I mean, when he's averaged over 50% of the team's offensive snaps, over 21 half point <clears throat> PPR points like per game. So for underdog purposes, that's exactly what you would want. I have an RB1, like RB2-ish like type play. I mean, 24 of 29 targets. So I'm not expecting Kenan Wongu, Ty Chandler, or any of those other guys to really push him for either the receiving work, short yardage work, red zone work. So if we can expect most of the facets of like an RB production or touch count that you would want for not as not necessarily a bell cow type back, but somebody that's going to push into that type of workload. And Madison right now is the guy that I would want to target. We'll see where his piece settles out. But for right now, I mean, he's definitely somebody to target in drafts. And look, some of these numbers that you're referencing and I reference those finishes, those did come with Kevin Stefanski and then the Kubiaks like calling the offense. So we do right, need to keep that right. in mind a little bit. And when you look at what happened last year, like the reason why Dalvin Cook wasn't the same monster is because we saw that similar McVay-esque, you know, just offensive scheme come over from the Rams in the form of Kevin O'Connell, where the Rams and Vikings ranked 32nd and 27th in targets to their running backs last year. So again, I don't think it's going to be as easy as Dalvin Cook, usual top 10 run running back during the week. We're not crossing his name out and putting Madison in there. But again, RB26 ADP, we still have potentially 10 spots to go. And that's conservative, man. Maybe he does yeah. get the full-time role that we saw in past years. By the way, just to be clear again about where exactly that smoke is coming from about Dalvin being cut, it is one of those post-June 1st situations where whether he's going to be traded or released, it does seem like the Vikings are going to want to save that extra money against the salary cap that does open up for them after June 1st. Now, they could have cut him in March, like the Cowboys, and then designated him as a June 1st cut. I do not believe you can do that the same way with trade. So that part of it is a little bit murky to me. But at the end of the day, Madison re-signs on a two-year, $7 million deal with $6.35 million fully guaranteed. And the big kicker, Chris, the freaking Vikings Twitter account replaced Cook with Madison, their Twitter banner. If that's not a sign, I don't know what is, man. I know, and I, I was dying like when like Detective Harditz over here, like pulling up, <laughs> pull, like putting them on blast. Like just they just like quietly just pushed that out on social media. It's like, oh yeah, Kirk Cousins. We've got Justin Jefferson. We've got T.J. Hawkinson coming back. Alexander Madison, not Dalvin Cook. And then they're just gonna keep on going. And just, but I, I thought that was hilarious. That they just want to slide that one on out there, and like hopefully it would go unnoticed. But I knew you would catch up on that, so I thought that was hilarious. Nothing to see here, or so uh -huh. the Vikings stop. But yeah, man, that's why I do love the uh, team previews in June and May. Gives you a little bit of time just to find, uh, you know, what teams are changing their Twitter banners and what teams aren't. But oh, Chris, yeah. you have another running back, and you've been talking him up for a little bit. I believe in our Dynasty show, you might have shouted him out. 49ers RB Elijah Mitchell right now going off the board as the underdog RB 41. Big time value, though, in Dwayne McFarland's overall rankings. He has him as pick 93.6 versus the pick 135.1. He is currently going at over underdog fantasy. He's risen up a little bit, 127.4 now as I look at it. But, Chris, the big thing with Elijah Mitchell is, one, looking a little bit closer at the CMC and Mitchell splits, which I know you'll get to in a second. But mm -hmm. also, just as we kind of found out yesterday when we were drafting, and I've now got, I think, 40 or 41 under my belt. Look so, yes. Seem plenty. Not trying to hurt myself, pat my own back here. I'm just saying I've I've seen more than a few of these, and just this range of running backs, man, is so clutch because again, Mitchell, as you're going to get to in a second, does have a lot of upside in his own right. But you're also drafting him not just as like you know the RB41 stuff, but he's going in the same area as wide receivers like 55 plus. So it's a great spot in the draft to get a good player in his own right, and you're not even missing out on anything a wide receiver at that stage in the draft. This might be too bold of a comparison, but I've seen so many arguments over the past like couple of weeks or so regarding Kadarius Tony. 
Because everybody, the thought process behind Tony is that, well, if we knew he was going to be healthy for, let's say, three to four months of the season, he would probably be like a third or fourth round value. Because it's always been a health thing with Tony. We know that yeah. the they be able to accrue targets, high TPRR, high yards per route run. I mean, he can be, especially being attached to Patrick Mahomes and that aerial attack, that would be the type of receiver that we would want to target in the early parts, of, in the early rounds or early parts of the draft. All right, so now let's do the same comparison for Elijah Mitchell. Is he a part of an efficient running game? Oh, hell yeah. Just a part of an efficient offense. Absolutely. I know that there might be some current concerns about who the quarterback is going to be once we get into week one, whether it's Purdy, whether it's Lance. Hell, it could be Sam Darnold. I have no idea. But we do know that Kyle Shanahan gets the best out of that passing game or just gets the best out of that offense because they've been like top five, top six in EPA per play over the past four to five seasons. So we know that Elijah Mitchell is a part of an efficient offense. So that means that he should be able to get plenty of cracks like once they get into the red zone. And speaking of red zone, that's actually where he's been able to challenge most of the touches for Christian McCaffrey when he's been healthy. And that's the thing with him. When he's been on the field, like with Christian McCaffrey, it's been a fairly tight split between the two. Like we've, we expected Christian McCaffrey to come in and essentially be like their bell cow, more or less like how he worked when he was in Carolina. But that really wasn't the case. I mean, even in the playoffs, it was 23 touches for Elijah Mitchell to 25 for CMC. Like when they were during the regular season, I mean, it was more or less like a 55-45 split between the two. I mean, San Francisco's not going to change their stripes and become this pass-happy offense, regardless of which passer they have under center. So we can expect from a volume standpoint, the overall touch count to be the same or the overall number of attempts to be the same. And the guys behind either of them two, I mean, Trey Sermon isn't there anymore. Who else is really going to challenge the two for touches? So if we can assume health, I know that he's been dinged up with, what, shoulder issues? Uh, like, uh, I think he had like an MCL issue, if I remember yeah. correctly. Calf, quad, I mean, huge list of injuries, a litany of injuries that has kept him out like over the past couple of seasons. But if you want to draft like you're right, you want to draft like he's going to be available for the majority of the regular season, then... It, for at least for my purposes, I mean, the split between him and CMC is a large enough split that I want a piece of the San Francisco offense. I'm not going to be able to pay the iron price in the first round for CMC, so I'll just grab Elijah Mitchell at his current cost and just call it a day. It has been weird how little we've been able to see Mitchell like just have a clean bill of health. I mean, I, I understand why McCaffrey is the one we're always talking about being the injury prone back of the two. But man, you know, he has that shockingly big workload in his first game as a player, you know, in 2021. Then has a shoulder injury in week two and misses a couple games. Comes back, deals with a rib, a finger fracture. He gets concussed at the end of 2021. Oh, there's a knee patella sprain on the list. That was just during his rookie year. Last year, he has a hamstring str uh, sprain. In August comes on as you mentioned multiple MCL issues throughout the year and despite all that Chris he's still getting a shit ton of work even alongside Christian McCaffrey because Kyle Shanahan loves him some Elijah Mitchell from Dwayne McFarland again looking at just games where we did have McCaffrey with Elijah Mitchell in there I mean even when Dwayne cut this down even when the 49ers were within six points of their opponent with both them active so this is not garbage time induced CMC still only handled 45 percent of the rush attempts so I get it in fantasy land we want the targets there's a reason why Christian McCaffrey remains our overall RB1 but when you look at Mitchell it's one of those rare moments Chris where we have a chance of getting a flex with benefits talent Mitchell mm -hmm. could be getting 10 to 15 touches on a week score a touchdown in a great offense like you said okay not going to feel great about firing with us an RB1 or RB2, but God forbid something happens to Christian McCaffrey. I'm knocking on wood right now. Yep, Don't worry. Yep. Like, I'm not saying we're crossing out CMC's name and putting Mitchell there, man, but he would certainly be a must-start player in every format. Oh, without a doubt. And especially since on underdog, if we're playing in the half-point PPR format, those targets that Christian McCaffrey is going to get aren't as valuable as if you're playing in a full-point PPR type format. So if we're expecting CMC to get more of the targets, that's fine, as long as Elijah Mitchell is still getting that work in the red zone, which he has in the past. I know their Week 17 matchup isn't the best. I think they're going up against the Commanders, who have at least been able to boast a top three, top five defensive front. So that rushing attack might not be as potent once we get into the weeks where we really need it. 
But still, we're talking about guys that will get you into the tournament, right? Get you into the back end of the tournament, not necessarily win you the tournament. So I like Elijah Mitchell for the regular season type formats. But overall, again, that delta between him and CMC doesn't make a ton of sense to me, bro. Up next, I got another running back. And Chris, I pulled up my underdog exposure right now. My highest drafted player. Irresponsible. 51.5% of my drafts, I have drafted this man. Jalen Warren, Steelers okay. RB2, yeah. right now underdog ADP RB46. He's my RB43, just in my you know early ranks. But just the big thing for me is this spot in the draft. I talked before about this range of Elijah Mitchell, and you know we're going to talk about another guy in that range here in just a second. But there are a lot of flex with benefits types, and then you have a big gap, and there is Jalen Warren. I mean, the fact that we have Mitchell going pick 127, Warren going pick 150, again, there's a big range of the RB3, borderline RB3s going there after the wide receivers, and then those fall off, and then you still see Jalen Warren sticking out there like a sore thumb, and I've just been drafting him, as you can see, every single chance I get get man it just comes down to the fact that in Pittsburgh we have seen it under the entire you know Mike Tomlin regime he is a man who loves him a featured running back we literally have a quote from a couple years ago from Mike Tomlin himself I am a featured runner type of guy by mentality and we've seen that every single time Le'Veon Bell D'Angelo Williams James Conner Jalen Samuels even Stephen Ridley, man, in some random week oh, 17 yeah. games over the years. Like these yeah. guys were all averaging over 17 touches per game from 2014 to 2018. And then as we've seen over the past three years with Najee Harris going out there, one of the most fed running backs in all of football. The only thing that we saw last year, and this hurt Najee because in 2021, he was the RB2 and expected PPR points per game. Only Derrick Henry had a larger role. Last year, that slipped down to RB12, RB13 because mm. Jalen Warren finally actually started getting a little bit of a role on the side. And guess what? He was better than Najee at just about everything. And I'm not going to, you know, come out here and say that Warren is definitively better than Najee because look at his yards per carry and look at his yards per target. But like when we look at Zeke versus Pollard or, you know, Montgomery versus Herbert situations where the backup is putting up way better numbers in the starter on less work. This is another one of those, man. This isn't, you know, Leonard Fournette and Rashad White where both guys are sucking it up. Jalen mm-hmm. Warren was making the most out of his opportunities last year. We just never saw Najee miss a game because if we would have seen him miss a game, man, I'm expecting Jalen to do exactly what every other Steelers backup running back has done over the years, take that full-time role and run away with it. So Matt Canada, once again, the picture, I know Steelers fans, you might not be thrilled about that, but at least fantasy fans should know that we're looking at a situation where Jalen Warren is one injury away from seriously, man, replacing Najee. Like, I think we would literally cross out Najee's name and put Jalen Warren right there. They did not draft a running back. Benny Snell, who is the number three, remains a free agent. Jalen Warren, Chris, I mean, him and, you know, I don't want to keep ruining the other ones, but there are only a few running backs at this stage in the drafts that I do believe have the both the high-end handcuff upside and a shot in hell at having maybe some flex value, and Jalen Warren is one of them. So pop quiz again, you know, I like to do these like every week, man. Uh, so who had the higher yards after contact per attempt between Jalen Warren and Najee Harris? I'm taking Jalen with every single question you're about to ask me. Absolutely. Force missed tackle rate. Jalen. Warren or Harris? Warren. Explosive, explosive run rate. Warren. Bingo. I mean, he hits a trifecta. I mean, he was just the better, the better rusher. Now, of course, we're extrapolating a small sample for Jalen Warren in terms of the number of attempts that he had, the number of rushing snaps that he was out there on the field, to Najee Harris's full-season RB1-type workload. I know that we're doing that, folks. But at the same time, if he's capable of outproducing the back, to your point earlier, saying we want to try and target running backs in the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th round that have the capability of taking over the RB1 workload, like the Khalil Herberts of the past. I mean, insert RB2 name here, Samaj P. Right. I mean, the guys that if their starter were to go down, they can take on 15, 20, 25, that 25 touch count for their, for their particular team. And that's what Jalen Warren can be. I mean, he was starting to wedge his way into the uh, the, uh, the the running back uh, rotation last season. I mean, 21.3% of the rushes once we got over like the final like two months. So starting to carve out a role. We'll see if things change once we get into the start of week, uh, the start of the 2023 season. But the very least, we know that he can replace Najee Harris should Najee Harris miss some time. But and also week 17 matchup going up against Seattle. 
We know that right now Seattle actually boasts a fairly solid uh, defensive secondary. But if we need a guy that can you know, catch a couple of short passes, maybe rush for a couple of touchdowns, maybe they turn to the running game and lean on that. I know it's all I'm walking down narrative street at this point. But <laughs> if there are any concerns about the Steelers uh, passing offense, maybe it's the rushing game that we should look at for a bring back. If you do a Seattle stack and you're looking for Pittsburgh to respond so, and Jalen Warren could be that dude. Just thinking out loud. And he looked good catching the ball last year, too. Again, that's the thing. Like, there wasn't anything the Steelers put on his plate that he wasn't able to handle. So, again, you know, yeah. 28 catches, average or a bus, 4.9 yards per carry. And, again, it wasn't like they were trotting him out there and just really treating him like a pure scat back, only running against five-man boxes and that kind of bullshit. Like, it was basically like, Najee, you need a breather. Go out there, Jalen, and we are not really going to change the offense and what they're doing. So, former undrafted, rocking the number 30. Can we speak this Austin Eckler career path into existence already? Ready. Jalen <laughs> yeah. Warren again one of my favorite now he is my favorite late round running back in all of fantasy football right now in 2023 Chris even though a running back and again guys this is just when you do enough of these drafts you start to see the ranges of players that you want to be taking and while Warren is a little bit past this we're once again going back to the well with that RB3 range this is another guy that's not even in the top 36 but Chris I think he could be in a hurry maybe even as early as week one man once we actually start having to sit down and rank these guys for a real football game cannot wait for that by the way but mm -hmm. you want to talk about someone that again you've been all over this offseason Antonio Gibson underdog ADP RB39 and I I don't think any of us really disagree with where he's necessarily going among running backs, but as Dwayne points out in his rankings, Dwayne's pick 100.8 right now in underdog. He is pick 120. He was a lot lower than that, you know, this time last week. So he's on the rise, Chris, but for good reason. It sure seems like we're looking at the 1B running back in Washington who's going to be catching all the passes, which especially in full point PPR is what we care about most. Exactly. And actually, for like to Gibson's credit, just last season with everything that we thought was going wrong for Gibson, I mean he's, I mean Brian Robinson wasn't part of the picture early on in the season, but he makes that miraculous comeback after the gunshot wound and all that. He, uh, he challenges Gibson for touches, and we really see B Rob, the dude with the big hat, to kind of take over the Commanders' backfield, and that's cool. But looking back on it, it's not is that not as bad for Gibson as we thought it was going to be. Gibson actually he had a 23.9% targets per route run rate in 2022. That's 11th amongst all running backs that had more than 20 targets last last season. It's kind of wild to think about because we were expecting more from Gibson. We wanted to see him actually overtake the backfield or at least be able to force some sort of 50-50 touch split. And we saw Brian Robinson actually getting more touchdowns. I think actually Robinson was the one that was getting, like he earned a receiving touchdown towards the back end of the season. But Gibson was still getting his, just weren't, wasn't really getting the highlight type touches that we saw from B-Rob. But that's okay. Now with Eric Bieniemy in the fold, we should expect more passing opportunities for, for the Commanders in 2023. They were 27th in pass rate of expectation last season. Not gonna, I'm not expecting them to be the Chiefs in 2023, but even just a step forward. I mean, everybody's hyped about Terry McLaurin. Everybody's hyped about Jahan Dotson, uh, Curtis Samuel. I mean, it's yards after catch. It's yards after catch and yards after catch. And Gibson was actually top 20 in yards after catch per reception amongst all running backs. So if that's something that they're going to try and emphasize, whether it's Sam Howell, whether it's, whether it's Jacoby Brissett, I mean, where whomever is going to be under center for the commanders, I mean, we have to assume that they're going to try and get the ball out of their signal callers' hands as quickly as possible and make the receivers do the work. And so if it's not going to be one of the three receivers, Gibson is easily like the one that, at least from a running back perspective, that should be capable of doing that and creating after the catch. So I like the, where he's going right now in drafts. I like the way he's set up for the 23 season, and he's definitely a value in drafts right now. Over the past three seasons, only Austin Eckler, Christian McCaffrey, and Alvin Kamara average more targets per game than J.D. McKissick, who remains a free agent, might not even play football this season. Antonio Gibson now looking like new offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy's new, spruced up, better version, I would say, than Jarek McKinnon. So, yes, they did add Chris Rodriguez in round six, and they came out afterwards and said they value him as actually like a third-round type of player. But if you dig just a little bit on Rodriguez, a lot of his profile coming out, sure 
seems to paint him in a similar light as Brian Robinson, more so the early down grinder between the tackles type of talent. I really think all that pass down work is right there for Gibson to seize. I understand that Ron Rivera cannot compare a running back to anyone other than Christian McCaffrey. He's done this with Gibson, saying his skill set similar to Christian McCaffrey, and then freaking the you know later that season he says J.D. McKissick is a Christian McCaffrey type player. Apparently, yeah. if you can if you have two legs and you can catch a football, Chris, you are Christian McCaffrey yes. according to <laughs> Ron Rivera. But you know, again, I don't want to read too much into this offseason coach speak because we've had Rivera say this before and then proceed to not feature him like a Christian McCaffrey. But just from Rivera this offseason. A little bit better sounding than last year, Chris, where the Mike Dube was taking freaking kick returns out there in August, you know, filling up the oh, water yeah. for the rest of the team. So from Rivera, this offseason, I still like what we saw as far as the growth was concerned with Antonio. I'd like to see Antonio get a few more tries, obviously last year, but Antonio has shown tre tremendous growth and we're pretty excited about what he could be. This is a guy that played wide receiver at one time coming out. One thing that he did have was every nine touches resulted in a touchdown. So we're looking for some production from him as well. And we're looking to see what he does fit in into the scheme of things as far as what Eric Bianami wants to do with the offense. Again, he's mm -hmm. not saying we're going to give Antonio 30 touches a game, but I'd rather Ron Rivera say good things about Antonio Gibson after what we had to go through this time last year absolutely love where he's going at adp and yeah chris i said jalen warren is easily my highest on running back highest on player number two highest on running back right now mr antonio gibson himself oh. again going at a great round of the draft and really like him Another running back I do want to highlight, he is, let's see, I think number five, six, he's top 10 exposure with me. I haven't gotten, I've gotten sniped on him a little bit towards the end of drafts, but he stands out to me along with Jalen Warren as two of the single best late round running backs you can get, and that's Browns running back Jerome Ford. Current underdog ADP is still sitting as the RB58. I have him as my RB49 because he sure as hell seems like the direct backup to Nick Chubb. We all know Kareem Hunt is out of the picture, remains a free agent, local Cleveland beat report are saying that he is not expecting to return to the Browns. And okay, so now he's just battling out with Dearness Johnson. No, he's not. Dearness Johnson is in Jacksonville. So it really is Chubb and then Jerome Ford sitting there as the top two. Ford is five foot 10, 210 pounds. I do think he actually has an opportunity to seize this every down workload should something happen to Nick Chubb. Knock on wood. I hope it doesn't. But look, I know this is a day three running back. This is a guy that started off at Alabama. He transferred to Cincy. And when you just look at what they were saying and what they, I mean, Dane Brugler from The Athletic, because I trust Dane's analysis more than just mm -hmm. anyone out there from the beast consistent hands on tape didn't have a drop on 31 career catches explosive out of his cuts with speed to run away from linebackers with ease i think there is a realistic chance the browns once again piss us off and do not give nick chubb that every down roll they still feed him something close to 300 carries but on passing downs they take him off the field for jerome ford if that's the case and we see even like a middle class man's version of that role that kareem hunt had he's an absolute smash at this adp or chris maybe that doesn't happen maybe they say nick chubb you're a monster here's 400 touches we're gonna ride you until the wheels fall off okay then Jerome Ford is still a good value as ADP just because of the pure handcuff upside that goes along with this. Even though Nick Chubb has not gotten that featured role. Remember two years ago when Chubb and Hunk got hurt, all of a sudden Dearness Johnson was getting the featured role that we couldn't buy from one of the top two running backs, but then he was becoming someone we couldn't keep out of a uh, fantasy lineup. So again, just in terms of the running back, just position as a whole and where we can kind of get these guys, I've been more than willing to take one or two guys at the top of the drafts, round two, round three, when they fall right but really mm -hmm. really fading the rb2 and even the high-end rb3s because of all this good value we have with our gibsons with our elijah mitchells with our jalen warrens and with our jerome fords here at the bottom of it so again one injury away from being what the kids would call a league winner and even if he's not chris we could still be looking at a heightened pass game role inside of an offense led by deshaun watson that we expect to pass more i cannot believe how late he continues to be available in these drafts so not to overlap too much with what you were saying, because I think you raise a number of good points about how Ford can be a value, Excellent. whether it's going to be like the, the RB2 to Nick Chubb's like RB1, uh, whether it's going to be like in the, the short yardage factor or, or whatever. 
I'll offer a third one for folks that are still skeptical about it. Because how many touches did he have like last season? What was it like? I think he was doing some special teams work, if I remember correctly. Ten? I don't know. It wasn't many. Yeah, <laughs> it, it wasn't many. So it's just like we we are we are doing like a a sample of a sample of a sample in terms of figuring out like what his 2023 expectation is going to be. Zero <laughs> offensive. Oh no, eight eight <laughs> offensive touches, Chris. Exactly. So it's like we we are we are like wish casting at this point. We are manifesting like Jerome Ford at this point, and I get that. But I'll offer a third way of looking at Jerome Ford as a potential value. So like you said, 210 pounds, right? Could definitely work in as a short yardage type grinder. So let's say with the moves that Cleveland has made during the offseason, that the Browns are going to be a more efficient offense, that they bring in Elijah Moore, Donovan Peoples-Jones like takes a step forward. Hell, let's say Cedric Tillman actually like turns out to be like a decent rookie. Okay. Uh, David Njoku is doing his thing still. So now the Browns are actually moving efficiently. For all of my, let's say, disdain for their quarterback, let's just say that they wind up, they, they are actually getting into the red zone more often. But how are they getting there? Either through Deshaun Watson or by Nick Chubb. And so let's say once they get into the red zone, they pull Nick Chubb for a breather because the man just ripped off a 40-yard run. He split. I mean, he splits the tackle. I mean, he goes off and he gets an explosive run. He gets them within the 10, comes off for a breather. And who do they bring in afterwards? Jerome Ford. Jerome Ford just has to punch it in there afterwards. And then, and then after that, he's made his week as a fantasy asset for your team. I could, I mean, that's an easy, I mean, that's an easy out for him. He could have just like five, six, seven, eight touches somewhere in there, but they could be those critical touches that could wind up boosting him from just two to three fantasy points to eight, nine, 10 fantasy points, a usable weeks that you can get out of a player that you can get in the 17th, 18th round, which again, to me seems like a viable narrative considering, yeah, they probably do want to lean on Nick Chubb. They do probably want to still be a run-ish first type offense. Maybe from a pass rate over expectation standpoint, they're more in line with the average for the, for the league. But still, if they still wind up using Nick Chubb as their battering ram, he's going to have to come out at some point there will be a few weeks where when he comes out, it'll be once they get into those, that five-ish, 10, like the five-yard line, the 10-yard line, something along those lines, and it's going to be Jerome Ford to, to wipe it up afterwards. So I, I'm with you, man. Like either it's going to be he has the high upside value of being the backup to Nick Chubb or being just being able to rotate with him or with Chubb once they get into the red zone and he winds up falling into the end zone for a couple of scores here and there. And look, Chubb scored eight-plus touchdowns every year of his career. He's still going to get his. But it's not like they get inside the 20-yard line, and to your point, just come on, Chubb. You know, we'll carry you across the goal line if we have yeah. to. Even last year, as bad as Kareem Hunt was, you can look at any advanced metric, and last year was not Kareem Hunt's year. In terms of just carries and targets inside the 20-yard line, Chubb at 38, Hunt at 32, man. So, yes, yeah. you know, Kareem Hunt was getting far more of the pass-down work, but you might have thought that Chubb was still being really featured inside, you know, the 20- and 10-yard line. And he had the slight advantage. He had the slight advantage in everything. But, again, don't discount just how involved Jerome Ford could be and this possibly, I would assume, ascending Browns offense. Chris, move on to some wide receiver talk. You have a certain Vikings wide receiver you think is undervalued. Justin Jefferson. No, nah, I'm just kidding. That'd be ridiculous. But <laughs> Jordan Addison sitting here with an ADP as a wide receiver, 34 and underdog. He's really separated himself from the pack. You know, earlier on in the offseason, he was going, you know, next to guys like Zay Flowers, like Quentin Johnson, more so in that, you know, wide receiver four range. But he has now risen up. And while he has not overtaken Jackson Smith and the Jigba yet, just seven picks separate them at this point. So Jordan Addison, Dwayne McFarland's pick 49 versus pick 67, where he's going over at underdog fantasy. And, you know, Chris, it's weird to say, you know, too many nice things about Kirk Cousins, but my God, man, whatever you think out there as, I think it's only tough because when you are a real life fan and, you know, you paid Kirk Cousins the amount of money that you paid him, like you just need the playoff success to feel overly good about it. I get it. Not every yeah, real life fan yeah. is just, you know, you're not thrilled about Kirk Cousins beating his ADP on a yearly basis and like putting up solid, albeit not incredible efficiency numbers. So I get it. But again, if, even if you don't trust Jordan Addison, man, just Kirk Cousins' ability to enable some of these top-tier wide receivers. I know Jefferson, Stephon Diggs, and Adam Thielen are dogs in their own right, but my God, man, three of the last five years, Kirk Cousins has managed to enable multiple top 15 scoring wide receivers in the same freaking offense. Jordan Addison and Justin Jefferson have a chance to do the same, and you can get Addison, again, for a lowly price as a wide receiver 34 right now. 
I love it right now where he's going in drafts. I would just automatically click him almost any time that I can once I start drafting more, but we'll get to that <laughs> uh, as soon as possible. But let's let's do the setup, right? Everyone, uh, like Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver one like for this season, and rightfully so. I 100% understand that. TJ Hawkinson, I mean, just gliding up the tight end ranks at this point because they were the target hogs for Kirk Cousins last season. I mean, they handled over 50%, just over 50.1% of the targets from Kirk Cousins in obvious passing situations once things got on track and like Hawkinson was a part of the team. So from week nine to week 18, those were the dudes. But I mean, in addition to that, I mean, let's think about how that offense is running. I mean, top six and pass over expectation. Uh, even once they get into the red zone, they're still like trying to identify like other targets within that offense that they can they can use. Whether it's KJ Osborne, uh, Madison, who we already talked about earlier, whomever. But if they still want to continue these pass-happy ways, and like I mentioned earlier, from a pass rate of expectation standpoint, if the personnel, the coaching, all of that remains continuous from year over year, we can expect the volume to continue. And so with the additions that they've made, like with Jordan Addison coming into the fold, we should expect that to be the case. But for the Vikings right now, once they get into the red zone, who are they supposed to be targeting at this point? Kirk Cousins had 59 red zone attempts uh, from week nine to the from the back end of the season. And who were some of those targets? 13 of those targets went to Adam Thielen. Where's Adam Thielen at now? Not in Minnesota, <laughs> over in Carolina. Dalvin Cook, seven red zone targets last season. And we already talked about his situation. He's likely not to be, be with the team. And one target went to Irv Smith. So that's 21 like almost half. I mean, we're getting like we're, we're we're getting close to half of the red zone targets like from Kirk Cousins last season now gone. I know vacated targets aren't necessarily a thing, but if we're assuming similar volume for the entirety of the offense, those targets have to go somewhere. And my assumption is like with the draft capital they paid for it, the way that uh, Jordan Addison plays, I mean, he was one of the uh, one of the few, like one of four uh, wide receivers from this class that was well above the league average in terms of yards per route run against both man and zone coverage. So he's a, he can wind up creating separation regardless of where he of, of where he's aligned on the field. Uh, and also, even when he switched schools this pat uh, the uh, two years before, I mean, switched over schools, still capable of earning targets regardless of where he's at also dropped into a pass-heavy, happy offense like in Minnesota. It all lines up for him to not just be a guy that they target within the, inside the 20s, but also once they get into the red zone. So I'm targeting Jordan Addison wherever I can. Maybe KJ Osborne makes things a little annoying to start because as much as we do mock that, you know, original all Justin Jefferson working behind BC Johnson, you know, thing from a couple of years ago, like, yes, that quickly became ridiculous. But remember, I mean, by we did get that Justin Jefferson, you know, gritting for his first freaking touchdown against the Titans explosion game. But the first two weeks of that season, he legitimately didn't have that full-time role just yet. He got it quickly. But I mean, I knew some people in leagues that had actually released Justin Jefferson because out of the gate Whoa. it wasn't killing it yeah, yeah big time mistake there my goodness but so with addison again i wouldn't just completely lose hope on this guy or any rookie wide receiver especially a first rounder for that matter if it starts off rough but come on man they drafted him this high for a reason already getting all sorts of praise from training camp and to your point man that role even if old man adam thielen couldn't quite make the most out of it in 2022 man Still, second in total routes last season per underdog fantasies. Hayden Winks could, should and could be Addison before too long. I want to talk about a wide receiver now, and he is actually my second most rostered player overall at this point. Another Steeler. What could go wrong, Chris? Just loading up on the Steelers <laughs> yeah. uh, this offseason. Got to feel great about that. It's Deontay Johnson, and for him to still be going as just a wide receiver 38 over underdog, it's really this simple for me, man. When you look at Deontay, you know, over these last few years, he was the wide receiver 41 last year. That sucked. We had to draft him as a low end wide receiver too. He finished wide receiver 41 in PPR points per game. Okay. In 2021, he was the wide receiver eight. In 2020, he was the wide receiver 22. Are we saying that Deontay can only be good with old man washed arm Ben Roethlisberger out there? Because right. I'm old enough okay. to remember, Chris, when we were talking about, think how high the ceiling will be for Deontay once Ben is out of the picture. And yes, I get it. He dudded. Wide receiver 41. Again, 
Look where he's going, guys. Wide receiver 38. This is the ultimate example of being able to draft a player far closer to his floor than his ceiling. All they have brought in is Allen Robinson to take that big slot role. And honestly, I've heard of worse around 18 darts, but we'll save that story for another day. I don't want to go too far in my Steelers here. But like when you look at the target distribution, and I understand George Pickens has one of the nastiest 60-second mixtapes that you can put together at the position. But just in Pickett's a roughly 11 games. So I went through, you know, he had the Tampa game where he got concussed. Like he had a couple half games in there. His first, uh, he came in at halftime against the Jets originally. So I accounted for all that. The targets in those games, Deontay Johnson, 92. Pat Fryermuth, 67. George Pickens, 58. George Pickens was the number three with Kenny Pickett under center man behind Pat Fryermuth, and he is still inexplicably going ahead of Deontay Johnson. So that gap has finally narrowed. I've started to see Deontay going ahead of Pickens, man. But look, one of only five wide receivers has scored under 30 PPR points, you know, below expectation, which is not good in the standpoint of that could mean that you're a player that had a lot of opportunity and you weren't making the most out of it. But you look who he's next to, Deontay Johnson, Drake London, Garrett Wilson. I don't hear people mm. saying Drake London and Garrett Wilson are all of a sudden bad wide receivers. No, we looked at their quarterback play. And yes, Garrett Wilson in particular is getting a major upgrade that we don't have for Deontay Johnson. But that said, man, we've seen with these rookie QBs, it seldom works out all that swimmingly. The year two leap is a very real thing. And I think we're going to see that at least to an extent with Kenny Pickett. So once again, I think with Deontay, we just kind of hold things more against him than other wide receivers. The drops are annoying. I get it. He had eight of them last year. That was tied for second in the NFL. Have you heard one person this entire offseason, Chris, complain about Stefan Diggs leading the NFL in drops last year? No. Nope. It doesn't matter because we don't lose fantasy points for drops, so quit worrying about it. Johnson jo joins Tyreek Hill, Justin Jefferson, Stefan Diggs, and Devontae Adams, only five wide receivers with more than 450 targets over the past three years. And he's going as a wide receiver four in fantasy right now, Chris. This whole range right now is the last kind of chance you have of getting a legit wide receiver one. He's right next to Traylon Burks, who I've also drafted plenty of. Jahan Dawson is right there. Gabriel Davis is another buy low candidate I'm a fan of. Give me all the Deontay Johnson in 2023. It's like America hates targets now, Chris. I do not understand Gen Z. <laughs> It doesn't make sense to me, man, because he was 12th in target share amongst all wide receivers last season. I mean, top 12. I mean, come on. Led the Steelers in red zone targets last season. And now I know that he turned all 18 of his red zone targets into zero touchdowns. But come on. We have to assume that that bounces back this season. And, of course, the only additions that they made were Allen Robinson. Of course, I mean, probably going to be man in the slot or something along those lines, like for the Steelers, and Darnell Washington. Now, we had had higher hopes for Washington like throughout most of the dynasty, uh, the draft process, but that's, where, that's what we've got. So I know that folks might be more, let's say, enthusiastic about George Pickens because he's the one that's getting all the highlights. Pat Fryermuth might be talking about him here in a little bit, but he's more efficient option out of the out of that trio of pass catchers. But overall, if we know the like, let's just follow the target. Let's follow the volume. And if most of it from Kenny Pickett is going to Deontay Johnson, I'll just go ahead and continue to target him. I've grabbed him in the best ball league last. I mean, yesterday. I thought it was great value for where I was able to draft him at. And if most of the touchdowns start to regress or if his touchdown rate regresses back to what we expect to be his mean, then of course, yeah, it's easy path for him to outkick his ADP. It's the thing. It's not like we have four years of evidence of Deontay not being able to score touchdowns. He scored eight in 2021, seven in 2020, five on only 92 targets in 2019. So, you know, it's completely different positions and situations. But, like, sure. I just felt like the whole touchdown total thing, like, that's what got a lot of people off Miles Sanders last year as well. Focus more on the volume and less so on these touchdown rates because I feel like while, Chris, we're really good at screaming regression for the guys that score a lot of touchdowns on a little number of targets, maybe we don't give enough credit to the potential for, again, regression to work in a positive way for guys mm -hmm. like Deontay Johnson. That's what we need. That Deontay Johnson should just go ahead and release that same video like Miles Sanders did last year and just tell the fantasy community <laughs> just not to draft him. That's what that's what we need. Deontay just come out on like Instagram or something like that, release a video saying, y'all don't draft me. Just, do, just don't draft me. And then we'll even get, get more value out of him. I've been waiting for a player to go full heel against fantasy football. I Josh Jacobs kind of has over the years. Like he's come yeah. out and said like, I do not like fantasy football. And, you know, people do like just... You can talk about the players. Don't at them, guys. Yeah, if you have something nice please, to say, by all means, but just please. don't at the guys at the end of the day, because you know, it's I wouldn't I wouldn't like it. And I, I know I don't like it, Chris, when people at me and tell me how bad they think I am at my job. Yeah. So 
do you think that you know it's a free co- it's a you know free country you can say what you want but just try to be a little bit nicer uh, than you have to be isn't that our, our buddy yeah. john diggles line so yeah you know nothing wrong with being nice chris i i mean we've actually been lying this whole time this is not a fantasy values over adp pod this is just a pittsburgh steelers team preview pod that's because what we're starting into behold, like, oh, I, I need behold, to we have another one to talk about. Oh, the Steelers. Oh, the Bengals had. Okay. I was going to say. I got to make the... sure people know. I got to make sure we're talking too much about the Steelers at this point. I got to make sure people know, man. If you were throwing on a Steelers hat right then, I would have. Oh, God, no. My whole world would have been upside down. So I'm no, happy that's not the case. Not. You were going to talk a little bit now about Pat Fryer, underdog ADP, tight end 10. Dwayne does have him as his tight end eight. So a little bit ahead. And really, you are seeing a bit of a tear gap between Fryermuth and guys like Dallas Goddard and even Evan Ingram. He's even gone almost a full round behind David Njoku at this point. So remember that stat I just brought up with Deontay Johnson with Kenny Pickett under center. It was Deontay number one. Pat Fryermuth, number two. Chris, mm-hmm. they did add Darn- Darnell Washington as a round two, as a round three player. Excuse me. Zach Gentry did resign. But look, those are two guys that we're expecting to block far more than catch. Talk about why you like Pat Fryermuth here, again, as a solid mid-round tight end and really about where the position starts to fall off a cliff. Exactly. And if you look at just the way the Steelers offense ran yesterday, to your point, him, uh, so Fryermuth and Deontay Johnson were the only two players like on the team to eclipse like double digit targets once they got into the red zone. And we know that for the tight end position specifically, being able to fall into the paint every now and again throughout the 17 week regular season is just critical to their fantasy value. And so if Fryermuth is going to be one of the higher target earners for Kenny Pickett once they get into the red zone, I would like that. But let's even like push past the, at least the, the criticality or at least the, the number of targets he's getting once they get into the critical areas of the field. He's also actually a fairly efficient route runner in, in his own right. He was sixth in yards per route run amongst all tight ends this last season after being, I think, it was top eight the year beforehand. So if he's capable of earning targets, capable of being efficient with said targets, also running out of the slot, he had a 36.4% slot rate just this past year. And so if we're already talking about, you know, like you mentioned, Darnell Washington being more of an inline blocker, Zach Gentry being more of a blocker. If Pat Frymuth is now being more of, let's say, the Dalton Schultz of the Steelers, at least that the way that this analogy works, then yes, I want that target share. I want those opportunities. And while might have some concerns about Kenny Pickett and what he's gonna do here with a full season ahead of him, but overall, out of that, out of that pass catching group that he has. I want Deontay Johnson and I want Pat Fryermuth for sure, especially if you wind up taking the approach to drafting tight ends where you're not swinging for the Kelseys, the Mark Andrews of the world. And if you can wind up catching Fryermuth where he's at, serviceable tight end one, at least for our purposes over at Underdog for sure. And guess what? The best part about this, because look, God, for the love of God, never draft Kenny Pickett as your first quarterback in fantasy. He's going to go undrafted in every single yeah. redraft league you're in, and as he should. So just let me get that out there first. But Chris, in best ball, like we need to draft multiple quarterbacks. So even if you get Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts, like you just physically need to draft at least a second one at the end. If you don't get one of the top quarterbacks, you're probably looking at three or so. And just when you get to this range of drafts, man, Kenny Pickett's going pick 174. Like the only guys cheaper than him that we just expect to start 17 games are Jimmy Garoppolo and CJ Stroud. I guess Desmond Ritter, like that's literally mm-hmm. it. And when you do look at, okay, how are the weapons around there? You start to see why you could talk yourself into Kenny Pickett. So to have, again, the chance to get your second or third quarterback that cheap stacked with these weapons that we like, man, again, I know it's scary. I know it's scary that we're hyping up all these Steelers players, but it's more so guys, we're hyping up potential target hogs in an offense that doesn't have much room to go except for up. And they are firmly, all of this is being firmly already placed into their prices. That's why they're a discount as they are. And that's why Chris and I have been drafting a hell of a lot of them. Last one, Chris, we have one more tight end for the road underdog ADP tight end 20. He is my tight end 12 right now, because as much as I understand, we do need to respect ADP and I'm not going to draft him as my tight end 12. I'm going to let him fall a little bit more and get my value. But Gerald Everett, Chris is my favorite late round tight end of the year for, you know, pretty much the sixth straight year in a row. But in all seriousness with Gerald Everett, man, if you look at his career, yeah, he hasn't always had the opportunity to go out there and just demand a shit ton of targets because he's had to play with Tyler Higby, who the Rams really liked. And then he spent the year in Seattle, where obviously he's going back and forth with Will Disley, who the Seahawks who refused to quit on no matter what. And then finally, last year, he goes to the Chargers and 
doesn't quite get all the way featured. For sure, number one tight end, but we still had Steven Anderson, Donald Parham, and Trey McKitty, mm-hmm. meow, you know, doing their things out there as well. And guess what? Even despite that, career high marks and targets were 87. He caught 58 passes, 555 yards, and that's not even including the 109 yards and the touchdown he put up in their wild card loss. So last year, you know, he was the tight end, you know, 15, I believe. But if you look at it, one single PPR point per game separated the tight end nine and the tight end 15. So that entire landscape is just such a shit show and so close. Anyway, I'll take the guy that when you start pulling the best yak producers of the past five, six years is up there with guys like George Kittle and Jonu Smith as a true freaky player with the ball in their hands. The one thing I've heard a lot, you know, dismissing Everett is that play when Herbert tried to target him and he was gassed and the Chiefs oh, took it yeah, like 99 yards that. back the other way. You know why Everett was gassed? Because he had just got them down the one yard line in the first place. He asked to be taken off the field and they didn't do it. Like, I'm not going to quit on the guy because of that. It was a yeah. weird situation throughout the offseason where people were wondering if he was going to be cut. Guess what? Didn't take a tight end in the draft. And ultimately, he's once again setting up to be the number one tight end in this offense. My hope, Chris, because again, right now, tight end 20. Okay, that's that's fine. If we even get last year's numbers, I'm fine with what you know we got here out of that ADP. New offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, rarely took a far less explosive, far less dynamic pass catcher off the field in Dalton Schultz. Maybe you could argue the Chargers had better depth than the Cowboys did at the position, but I think right now it's another example of Gerald Everett being priced closer to his floor because, God forbid, we get that 80-90% route roll that I do think is on the table. Gerald Everett, as Justin freaking Herbert's number one tight end, is going to be in that top eight in a hurry. Without a doubt. And if we're looking at the way that they've done things, at least historically, right? Because they're switching over from Kellen Moore, from Lombardi. Like, oh, I, I get it. I get it. But the way that Everett's been deployed, like previously, I mean, especially last year, I mean, he was just second in red zone targets. Of course, I have to understand that when they were out with, we were out Keenan, uh, Keenan Allen for a while. Mike Williams was out for a hot minute. So I, I get it. But still, him being able to earn targets once they get into the red zone, and like we were talking with Pat Fryermuth, we know that's going to be a huge portion of their fantasy value, being able to at least earn targets once they get inside the 20. So if Gerald Everett's already doing that, has that rapport with Justin Herbert, cool. But let's also think about the just the value in between the 20s, or like their approach to offense once that like even before they get into the red zone. I mean, the Chargers, they were seventh in pass rate over expectation and obvious passing downs. So if Justin Herbert is dropping back to pass. I mean, he'll have a number of, let's say, downfield targets, right? They've got Mike Williams working the perimeter. Quentin Johnson also working the perimeter. Keenan Allen, he needs more intermediate targets. They were one of the more inefficient offenses once they got into, like, third and long type situations. And who else now with, they have these boundary receivers in QJ and also Mike Williams, but now they should have at least that opens up the field for a guy like uh, Gerald Everett to operate in the inter- intermediate interior parts of the field, along with Keenan Allen too. So if we get that intermediate volume for Gerald Everett, plus the red zone targets as well, which you know he's capable of earning, there's no, I mean, there's an easy path for me to see him outkicking his ADP just because we're expecting the Chargers offense to be more efficient now with Kellen Moore in the fold with some more pass catching options as well. So yeah, I'm 100% with you. That Chargers offense looks primed to take a step forward now with the change in offensive philosophy with Kellen Moore, but also adding in some more pass catching targets for Herbert, who we know to be a dangerous passer once he gets the opportunity to look at some more efficient receivers like Gerald Everett. Right now, my highest drafted quarterback is Justin Herbert, and my Let's highest go. drafted tight end is accordingly Gerald Everett. So Let's easy go. to get Everett late. And, you know, the way it falls, too, which is nice, is you can usually get, like, when you have to draft Justin Herbert, you can almost kind of decide for yourself if it's worth it because Keenan Allen and Mike Williams go um, in a s- similar area as him. Like, Herbert is pick. 52 and you're seeing Keenan at pick 45 Mike at pick 42 but he started to fall so you can basically Mm. take one of those Chargers wide receivers and then have a chance the very next round to get yourself some Justin Herbert as well and then again bringing it all the way back at the end with some Gerald Everett have loved those Chargers stacks like it was one of those situations man where Herbert I know that he's down a little bit from last year he didn't do the same thing but it's just so easy to look at all the injuries they had at their in their pass catching crew you know Guyton Keenan and Mike, all those guys missing time. Then also Herbert himself playing with through that rib injury, man. Like That's right, I still, yeah. I've never seen a player 
in so much pain that they literally had to quit on like a live play. Like we had Herbert in week two last year. I'm, I'm not yeah. question. I'm not questioning the guy's toughness. I would never, never do that. But it's just like, my God, that's how injured he was. And he didn't even miss a game throughout the year. So no shit. His rushing took a bit of a hit last year. We get that back. We get the higher rate out with Kellen Moore and healthy wide receivers. Still Quentin Johnson in there. I would not be surprised at all. If the chargers are the team that just takes that mega leap up the passing offense, you know, leaderboards in 2023. And with that, Chris wraps up another edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. I'm sure this will not be our last, you know, values over ADP episode, but I can mm-hmm. tell you we'll be back next week to really break down all things week 17. We previewed the article a little bit on our best ball stream yesterday, Chris, so people can check that out, but fantastic work by yourself. Just going through again, some of the more obvious matchups that yes, you know, Cowboys lions and then Bengals and chiefs have your highest game totals and stuff, but also some of the more dark horse schemes and also the ones to avoid. So great job by you. You got anything else on the uh, docket coming up for the fine fancy life? subscribers and by subscribers i just mean you know anyone because oh yeah all of it's free oh yeah exactly uh but yeah it's going to be more best ball stuff for sure i'm going to be hopping into some drafts over the weekend i know i got to get my numbers up man i know that's where my focus is going to be over the next few weeks as we really start to dive into the summer so yeah if uh if you're hopping into the best ball lobbies take it easy on me you know i'm, I'm still trying to get my feet wet but i know that's where you'll be able to find me over the next uh, about a month or so absolutely on my side of things team preview series keeps on keeping on actually just finishing up the afc north this week so about to go attack those steelers articles and guess what i will have more good things to say about them there as well you can catch those afc north previews coming out this week by the time you are listening to it so thank you guys again for tuning in for chris i'm ian thanks again for tuning in the fantasy life podcast until next time take care everybody